the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 13. Why is he called God's only begotten Son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the Bible, names are important. They reveal much about the person being named. God changed Abram's name to Abraham to seal his promise that he would be the father of many nations. Jacob received his name because he was a liar, a deceiver, one who wanted to supplant his brother. The angel told Mary to call her son Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. Thus it's significant that Jesus Christ is also called the only begotten Son of God and our Lord. When we confess Christ to be the only begotten Son of God, we focus on his identity. Who really is this man, Jesus? The emphasis here is on Christ's person and on the relationship he has with the Father. When we confess Christ to be our Lord, we focus on his authority. We recognize Jesus as our master and submit our whole life to him. The emphasis here is on Christ's exalted kingship. You may be wondering why this is important. Why is it necessary to know who Christ is and the position of authority he holds? What impact does that have on my life? Let me respond to that by asking a few questions. Do you know who you are? How would you identify yourself? Many people in our society face an identity crisis. They don't know who they are, where they come from, or where they're going. People's identity used to be rooted in their faith and family in their ethnic background or their citizenship. But today, many don't know God. They face family breakdown. They've lost ties with their ethnic heritage. And they denigrate the privilege of being citizens of a free democracy. Young people in our society are facing increased pressure to consider their gender identity and their sexual orientation. It's no wonder people get confused and lost. Today, many people live from out of notions like, it's important to believe in yourself. They like to think they're in control of their own life. The perspective is, I'm the boss, 
No one else is going to tell me what to do. What people don't realize is that, in fact, they're slaves of sin, that they're under the dominion of the evil one. How about us, beloved? Who is actually in charge of our life? So often we like to think that we are. But in actual fact, either Jesus is Lord of our life or else we're under the dominion of sin and Satan. And so we see that our confession of the Savior Jesus Christ's names is very relevant to our lives. Today we'll focus on why he is called the only begotten Son of God and our Lord. I proclaim to you the gospel message under the following theme. As God's children, we confess that God's only begotten Son is our sovereign Lord. And we'll consider Christ's identity and his authority. We confess that Christ is the only begotten Son of God. This confession is a scriptural one. It doesn't always come across in the modern translations of the Bible. They translate the only begotten Son as the one and only Son or as the only Son. The original says the only begotten Son. In John 3.16, we're told, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So what does it mean when we confess Jesus to be the only begotten Son of God? The term begotten is usually understood as being born of or coming forth from. That becomes clear in some of Scripture's genealogies. Genesis 5 or 3 says, Adam lived 130 years and he begot or he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and he named him Seth. To beget means to bring forth, to father a child. But is this what Scripture means when it speaks about Jesus Christ? Did the Father beget His Son, Jesus Christ? Was Jesus born of the Father like we are born of our earthly fathers? No, beloved, He was not. Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. He is from everlasting to everlasting There was never a time when the Son did not exist. John 1 verse 1 teaches us that Christ is the eternal Son of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was never a time when the Father existed without His Son. They are co-eternal. So the fact that Jesus is called the only begotten Son of God does not mean that he was literally born of the Father. So what does it mean? Scripture first refers to Christ as the only begotten Son in Psalm 2, verse 7. We sang from that psalm. The Lord God said, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. This text is quoted by Luke in Acts 13.33. And by the author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 5 and 5, verse 5, these passages make the point that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came as the promised Messiah. 
The fact that Jesus is the Son of God says something special about him. The Son of God is divine. Jesus is actually God. When we confess Jesus Christ to be the only begotten Son of God, we're speaking about his identity. This was and remains an important issue. When he was still on earth, Christ asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon of Arjona, for flesh and blood has not, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Yet many in Jesus' day did not believe this. During his ministry, Christ often referred to God as his Father. The Jews got very upset with Jesus because of this. John 5, 18 tells us they sought to kill Jesus because he said God was his Father, making himself equal with God. And yet Jesus does not back away from his claim to be the Son of God. In John 8, Jesus told the Jews, Before Abraham was, I am. And in John 10, he said to them, I and the Father are one. On both occasions, the Jews tried to stone Jesus. They simply could not accept Jesus was the Son of God. It's striking that in the Gospels, there's only two instances where the Lord God speaks directly to man. Both times he does so to identify his Son. The first occurred at Jesus' baptism. Matthew says that when Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit descended on him, and a voice came from heaven. It said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The second occasion was at Christ's transfiguration. He took the three disciples closer to him up on the mountain. There, Christ's true identity was revealed. He was shown to be greater even than Moses. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face reflected God's glory. Yet Jesus' face shone with God's glory. Christ's sonship was confirmed by the words spoken by the Lord God from out of the cloud. He said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Toward the end of his ministry, Christ confronted the Jewish leaders with two direct questions to make clear his identity. In Matthew 22, we read of Jesus asking them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The Jewish leaders responded with a scriptural answer. They said, The son of David. Then Christ referred back to Psalm 110, where David calls his son Lord. Christ asked how it was possible for a father to call his son Lord. A son might address his father as Lord to show forth his respect, but a father would never call his son Lord. We know why David called his son Lord. It's because David recognized that from his line the Messiah would come. 
that he would be the son of God. But that's exactly what the Jewish leaders refused to acknowledge. Jesus' identity as a son of God is still denied by many in our society today. If they know Jesus or respect him at all, then it's as a good man, as someone whose example we should follow. Many deny the divinity of Christ. We, beloved, confess Jesus to be the only begotten Son of God. On the basis of the testimony of Scripture, we believe that he is the Son of God. Not just any Son, but the beloved Son, the only begotten Son. Jesus is unique. He is one of a kind. He alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. Together with the Father, the Son has existed from all eternity. He shares the same nature as God. He is divine. Jesus is not only the Son of God, he actually is God. So why is this important? Because we can only find our true identity in Christ. In our society today, many face an identity crisis. People don't know who they are, where they come from, or where they're going. Some seek their identity in their daily tasks. I'm a good mother. I'm a hard worker. I'm a successful businessman. Some seek their identity in others. They find heroes in the sports and entertainment world. Some find meaning in life in their family or in friendship or in their material possessions. Now the problem is that these things don't last. Children grow up and they don't need mom in the same way anymore. Your working life will one day come to an end. Your money may run out. Your heroes will fall in popularity. Your friends and your loved ones will die. If your identity is based on these things, the day will come when the foundations of your life are shaken. If who you are is based on your position or your status in this world, ultimately your life is founded on things that are empty and meaningless. The reality is you are striving after wind. Our life will only have meaning if it's found on Jesus Christ. If we seek our identity in Christ, then we're building on a lasting foundation. We need to believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Our very salvation depends on it. For if Jesus is not God's Son, He cannot be our Savior. No one who's merely a human being can serve as our mediator. It is because Christ is the only begotten Son of God that He was able to bear God's wrath against our sins and deliver us from them. It's only in Christ that we know ourselves to be children of God. Our catechism emphasizes that our relationship with the Father is dependent on the fact that Christ is God's Son. It says we're children of God by grace, for Christ's sake. We're adopted as God's children through the work of God's only begotten Son. And so we see that it's through God's only Son, that we've been restored in our relationship with the Father. 
Galatians 4 speaks about our adoption as children of God. Adoption is a process by which parents choose to take a child and make him their own. Although the child does not naturally belong to the family, they take that child in and give him an official place alongside the rest of their children. That's what God does with us, beloved. By nature, we were children of wrath. We were under the dominion of the devil. The law makes it clear to us that we were slaves to sin. And yet, what does Paul say in Galatians 4? He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. In our adoption, we see various things happen. We're given a new identity. Formerly, we were slaves, but now we've been made sons. By Christ's great sacrifice, God has made us his children. And so we know ourselves to be sons and daughters of the living God. In our adoption, we've been given a new legal standing. Just as children who are adopted officially become sons and daughters of their new parents, so we officially become God's children. That means that as members of God's family, we can share in all the blessings that God's Son, that our Savior, has earned for us. This brings us to our second point, and we'll consider Christ's authority. The final name by which we confess Jesus Christ is Lord. When the Old Testament scriptures were translated into Greek, the Greek word kurios was used to translate the sacred name of God. Thus, long before the New Testament period began, the word Lord came to refer to God himself. The word Lord is used in the New Testament in the same way. On more than one occasion, Jesus refers to God as the Lord. Yet what's remarkable about the New Testament is that it's now Jesus who is regularly referred to as the Lord. A word once used to refer to God now is used to refer to Jesus. It's true that in some instances, this word is used as little more than a polite form of respect. Think, for example, of how some of the unbelieving Jews address Jesus, calling him Lord or Sir. Yet what's astonishing is that in the vast majority of cases, Jesus is called the Lord because people recognize his lordship over them. To understand this, we need to know what it means to call someone Lord. The title Lord refers to someone who has dominion over others, to a master, a chief, or a ruler. A Lord is someone who has ownership or possession of something, who exercises authority over it. In many ways, Lord is synonymous with King. The reason why we call Jesus the Lord is because he's become our master, our head. We call him Lord because he has authority over us, because he exercises kingship over this world. 
After now we've seen why Jesus is called Lord. It's because the Father has given him authority over this whole universe. Yet we confess Jesus to be our Lord. We call him our Lord because of what he's done for us. He has ransomed us from all our sins. With his precious blood, he has made the payment needed to redeem us. He has bought us and thereby made us into his own possession. We're no longer slaves of sin. Instead, Christ is our master. We're no longer children of the devil. Instead, through the work of the Spirit in us, Christ makes us subservient to him. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in the letter to the Colossians. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul reflects on the preeminent position of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When the Jehovah Witnesses read this text, they use it to show that Christ is not God, but just the firstborn of all creatures. Yeah, that's because they do not understand the scriptures. They think the firstborn refers to one born first. The scriptures use this title not in a literal, but in a figurative sense. We know from the law of Moses that the firstborn son had special rights and responsibilities. When his father divided the inheritance among his sons, the firstborn received a double portion of all he had. Yet the firstborn also had certain responsibilities. He was to manage the father's household. He was called to care for his mother, provide for the remaining children at home. The firstborn son was called to lead the family in place of his father. This is a sense that Paul wants to communicate in Colossians 1. He calls Christ firstborn over all creation to indicate Christ's preeminent position. You see, beloved, in the family of God, there are many children, but there's only one firstborn son. Paul says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that, every, that in everything he might be preeminent. Do you know what it means that Christ is preeminent? It means he's first in rank. He's superior. He has the supremacy. Jesus Christ is Lord and King over all. Do we recognize that, beloved? And does it show in our lives? It is a wonderful blessing to be able to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We're comforted that the ruler of this universe has control over our lives, that we're safe in his hands, that he will defend us from our enemies that he will preserve us in the salvation he has earned for us. But confessing Jesus as Lord involves more than that. It's one thing to say Jesus is Lord. It's another to believe it and to live out of it. 
Like many in the world, we often struggle to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We like to think we're our own boss, that we're in control of our own destiny, that we can chart our own direction in life. By nature, we often seek to do what's right in our own eyes. Submission to another is difficult. Yet the reality of life is, is that no person is in charge of himself and of his own life. Those who think so are kidding themselves. There's only two possibilities. The Bible teaches that either we are slaves of sin and under the dominion of the evil one, or else we're slaves of righteousness, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Each one of us is being ruled by another master. And so the question is, who is in charge of your life? Is Satan your master? Are you controlled by the sinful desires of your flesh? Or are you living under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Beloved, who determines what we do with our lives? Who's in charge when we make decisions about a life's partner? Or about what kind of career we'd like to follow? Does Christ have any say in how many children we have in our families? Is Christ Lord of how we use our time, of how we spend our money? Who determines what music we listen to, what programs we watch, what internet sites we visit? Do we allow ourselves to be governed by our feelings or our desires? Or do we heed the instruction given in God's word? Jesus warned in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Truly confessing Christ as Lord involves submission. We are to be subject to the king, to heed his word. Sometimes we look at this as being burdensome. By nature, we want freedom, the freedom to do our own thing. But in actual fact, that is no freedom. To be a slave of sin is not much fun. Just ask any alcoholic. Just look at the negative consequences sin has in the lives of those who follow their own desires. Subjection to Christ is totally different from this. Christ addressed those who were weary and burdened, and he promised to give them rest. Our master Jesus Christ is not cruel, but gentle, not heavy-handed, but humble in heart. Beloved, God's commandments are not burdensome, He's given them to us for our benefit. They are for our good always. Living in subjection to Christ means that we may experience the joy of living in close fellowship with Him. The peace of knowing that all is right between us and God. Clearly, we cannot live in this way out of our own strength. Christ has given us His Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in His ways. 
It's by the Spirit's power and might that we're enabled to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we see, beloved, what it means to confess Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God and as our Lord. Learning to know Christ's identity and His authority helps us to recognize who we are as God's adopted children and what our task is as His disciples. It is a great privilege to be God's child, to belong to His family. It's a great responsibility to submit to Christ's Lordship, to serve as His disciples. It is the people of God who are happy to submit our hearts and lives to our Savior Jesus Christ. For we know of His great love, how He gave His life for us. Out of thankfulness, let us devote our hearts and our lives to Him. Amen. We'll respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from, Psalm, from hymn 72.